For by grace, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And that is not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them, that they would be our way of life. Let's pray. Our good and our holy God, we are grateful today for your mercy. We thank you that your love and kindness appeared. We thank you, Lord, that you have made us for an all-new way of life. Lord, as we live that life together under your reign and by your spirit, we pray that you would make us ever joyful and that we would know the peace that comes from your presence, a peace that passes all understanding. God, today we come on this Lord's Day celebrating again your gospel, your grace. Lord, as we gather around the word again, we pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear. We pray that you would give us hearts that are tender, that would receive your word like a seed planted in fertile soil. God, we pray that you give us feet that will walk quickly to do your will, that you give us hands that are strong, that our work in this world would be like your own. Lord, we pray that a word of life, love, would be found on our tongues. God, this is our prayer in the mighty name of Jesus. We pray together saying, amen and amen. Friends, please be seated. I'd ask you a serious question as we get started this morning. Have you ever had a really good bowl of gumbo? Raise your hand if you have. We have some gumbo people out there. It might not surprise you, but I'm something of a gumbo connoisseur. Uh, I like the seafood kind with shrimp and oysters. I like the prairie kind. Uh, I, this Friday night, I had a wonderful bowl uh, of duck and andouille gumbo. I mean, it was that dark chocolatey. It was fantastic. I've just loved gumbo all of my life. I lived in New Orleans for a few years, and that just really uh, overwhelmed me and my gumbo aficionado status. Gumbo is just something mighty fine, as my grandmother uh, would say. Recently, I saw a friend named Steve Besner, right? He, Steve is a pastor in Northwest Houston, and he teaches at the Truett uh, Extension in, in Houston. Steve's a wonderful guy, and he was writing about answers that he got back on a test. He was teaching a course, and, and he was talking about atonement metaphors, pictures uh, of atonement in Scripture, what, what happened at the cross and what that means for us. And he asked the students to describe an atonement metaphor that really encapsulated or, or spoke to their, their view of the thing that they really emphasize when, when they teach. He was giving them a chance just to open up about it. And he said, one of his students wrote, he said, when, when I think of the atonement, I have to say this, of all of these theories and metaphors and images, that my position is something most akin to gumbo. Now, that's an answer given in Houston, Texas, the Texas capital of gumbo. And Steve said, you know, this was the most wonderful answer on the test because he said, you've got to think about it. 
He said, you think about gumbo, it's, it's a complex reality and it's also beautifully unified. You have all these wonderful ingredients that have to come together and have to work together to make it what it is. And in the scriptures, we have all these beautiful atonement ingredients, all these metaphors, all these images, all these emphases and thrusts that help us understand the love of God in Christ at the cross. James McClendon said that the thrust of three historical types of atonement teaching was respectively towards satanic evil, toward God, and toward human nature itself. It wasn't just one thing that happened at the cross, but one thing that broke apart into brilliant colors to touch all things. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 has a little of all of that in it. All of those ingredients, uh, the touching on sin and evil and death, we are saved, that text says. And toward God, saved by God and saved for God, that God might have first place in all things. And even our human nature itself, by through faith unto a life of good works, unto a life of good works for God, for us, and for the world. Herman Bobbink said that grace restores nature. God didn't have to make us, but he did. And he made us good, and he declared it this is very good. But we fell into sin. We turned against that benevolent creator. But God didn't cease to be God. And God didn't cease to be good. And his grace is bent on restoration. God's holy love is turned against sin and evil and turned toward the renewal of his creation by grace through faith unto a new life of goodness. This is the gospel of God. And this is the way of compassion. God's compassion and ours. Today, the two readings that we have before us in this room are Ephesians 2, 8 to 10 and Titus 3, 3 to 11. I'd like to linger over Titus 3, 3 through 11. So, so go to that text. I, I want us to look again and see again and observe again these transforming truths of the gospel of God and his compassion. So open there and let's begin to see afresh the way of God and the way of his compassion and all of those ingredients coming together to make something lovely, and beautiful, life-giving, and pleasurable. The first thing we see when we look at these texts is that we see our great need for God's compassion. 
Verse 3 really is a laundry list of things that are indeed no good, terrible, and very bad. If you go back to that, that third verse, he says, For we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. That is a bleak picture of life in alienation from God. That is a bleak picture of good creation fallen into sin. And when you look at a verse like that, you walk away saying, this is not the way things are supposed to be. In fact, that's one of my favorite books on sin. Not my favorite sinful book, but one of my favorite books about sin. It's written by a theologian named Cornelius Plantiga. The title of the book was Not the Way It's Supposed to Be, A Breviary of Sin. He took the title of that book from a scene in the film Grand Canyon, where Danny Glover plays a tow truck driver. A young professional comes into a blighted part of town and his car breaks down, and, and a scene played out in films over and over again starts to be played out. These young guys who are coming, they're going to rob him and treat him bad. And Danny Glover rides in with his tow truck and he stops this whole scene and he looks around and he says to those young kids and to that young professional, This is not the way things are supposed to be. To understand God's mercy and his grace, we also have to understand sin and our fallenness and the not the way it's supposed to be-ness. We've got to start in verse 3 and see it and see it clearly because we don't need a little tweaking. We need saving. Creation has fallen into sin, but God is good. And grace restores nature. So that's not the only thing we see is our brokenness. We also see God's mission of compassion in the earth. Verse 4, but when? Those are two fantastic words. It's talking about our brokenness. And then in the midst of that, uh, Paul writes, but when? But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior appeared, but when mercy appeared in the midst of malice and hatefulness, being hated and hating others in the midst of the not supposed to be situation that we created and have found ourselves in, God appeared, showed up. God's holy love was on a mission, is on a mission of restoration and transformation. And you have this beautiful picture of the triune God and the triune God's gospel. Paul said, God, our Savior, saved us. Through the Holy Spirit, through Jesus Christ, our Savior, 
this great complex and unified God, wonderful in all his ways, appeared in love and in kindness. Again, James McClendon said, the spirit is a missionary, and Jesus is a missionary, as Torah's Adonai is a missionary God. We didn't climb our way to God. God came to us. The gospel of God is not we do, but that God does and God did. It's the appearing of the kindness and the love of God that makes all of the difference. We see in this text God's great mission of compassion and, and how he executed it. You see his spirit of abundance. It said he, he poured out his spirit to wash us and cleanse us and give us life. He poured out generously, abundantly, his spirit. Gordon Fee said, the God who saves on the basis of his mercy does not scrimp. Not to wear out the gumbo image, but what makes a good gumbo is not skimping on the shrimp. And God, God's not pouring in extra water because the neighbors have come over. God's resources are not limited. His love is not measured out in teaspoons. God pours. God pours. So you see the abundance of his compassion. You see the abundance of his love. And you see the direction, Paul said, toward man. His love had a target, and that target was humanity. When Martin Luther described the nature of God's love, he used the image, the metaphor of flowing. Of flowing like a river. He said it flows forth and it bestows good, his love. It flows forth and it bestows good. Commenting on this, Miroslav Volf said, the metaphor of flowing reveals the outbound and unidirectional movement of God's gifts. And those gifts are salvation and new life. Those gifts are God's spirit himself. Jesus said God would give the Holy Spirit. Abundant. And toward us, flowing from God, one direction, one direction. And you see, behind all of this image in Paul is the hope that beat in Israel's heart. Paul's whole life, he marinated on the scriptures and the hopes and the dreams of God's people. Dreams that God put in their breast himself. Ezekiel chapter 36, we read these words beginning in 25. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. 
I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. I will, I will, I will, says God. I will pour out my spirit and make you clean and change you from the inside and enable you to live a whole new life. I will do it, and it will be beautiful. I will do it. What makes salvation possible? The I will of God. The Spirit poured out on the flesh. Karl Barth said, through the Holy Spirit and only through the Holy Spirit can man be there for God. Be free for God's work on him. Believe. Be a recipient of the revelation, the object of the divine reconciliation. The very possibility of human natures being adopted into unity with the Son of God is the Holy Ghost. Through the Spirit, it becomes really possible for the creature, for man, to be there and to be free for God. We see our need. We see God's mission. And we see God enabling us to be there for God. To be free. And this liberty constrains us through the love of God and Christ. And the final thing we see this morning is we see the faithful response to God's compassion. Firstly, we see the wisdom of receiving it. Verse 8, those who have come to believe in God. Those who have believed on Christ. This text says very plainly, we are justified by His grace. Justification by grace reminds us that faith is not choosing, it's not picking, it's not voting for Jesus over yourself or the devil. Faith is enabled by God's Spirit, and faith is a deep abiding recognition that in our own we are lifeless and impotent. But enabled by His mercy, we are freed to follow and to be there for God and to be there for others. Faith is not a work of righteousness. It's the open reception of a gift that flows from the mercy that appeared in God, in Christ. So the question before us is, have we received that gift of His grace? Or are we still trying to cut deals with God? Are we still trying to fix ourselves up little by little, like an old house that you're trying to bring back from decay? Or have we recognized that without God, there is no hope, but through His grace, all things indeed are possible? He said, being justified by His grace, we become heirs of the hope of eternal life. 
all new people, all new humans with a brand new future. Jesus said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only one-of-a-kind, unique, only begotten son, that whosoever believed on him would not perish, but would have everlasting life. Have you received the love that has flowed in your direction? If you can say humbly but confidently yes to that question, the second question is for you. Are you regularly a channel of that grace? Does his love flow out of your life into the lives of others? Paul said we should be careful, those of us who have believed on God, to maintain good works. To maintain good works that are profitable and useful and beneficial to others. I've quoted some pretty heavy theologians this morning. Now for a great American group of philosophers, the Bellamy brothers. Do you remember the Bellamy brothers? They were responsible for that anthem, Old Hippie. I'm now about seven years older than the old hippie in that song. That's a little discouraging. They said, there's a reason for the sunshine in the sky. And there's a reason. You sing along if you like. Well, I'm feeling so high. Must be the season when that love light shines all around us. And here is their declaration because of that. So let your love flow like a mountain stream. There's a reason. And there is a season. The reason for life is the gospel of God. We were made by God. We were made for God. In his mercy and his love, God came to restore and renew and transform, to bring us back home to himself, back home to our own identity and our true humanity. There's a reason, and the reason is God. And there is a season. Scripture says, today is the day of salvation. This is the season of the work of our triune missionary God. As God is at work drawing men and women and boys and girls to himself, changing lives and restoring nature. Today is the day of opportunity. Today is the day of of offer today is the day of response. There's a reason and there's a season. So, on this Sunday morning, in this spring of the year, where new life is popping out of the dirt, you have any plants surprise you? You thought they were dead and gone because of that cold, cold winter, but they popped out just this weekend. Anybody got a surprising pop-out flower? As life is shooting up out of the ground and off of the trees. We need to let our love flow. The love that flowed into our lives through the Holy Spirit. We need to commit in fresh and new ways to let that out. Here's the great miracle of God's math. If his love leaves us, we're not with less of it. 
Because God pours and there's more and more and more because it's perfect in Christ Jesus our Lord. So have you received his love? Will you? Does it flow through you? Through the open doors of opportunities that God provides. And if you will earnestly and honestly ask him, I promise you this. If you don't believe me, do an experiment. Just wake up in the morning and say, God, show me open doors and opportunities to live out the good works that you have prepared for me. Show me opportunities, Lord, for your love to flow out of me into somebody's experience, into somebody's day, into somebody's moment, into somebody's life. I promise you, if you pray that, God will answer because he's good and his mercy endures forever. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for a chance to worship you in this place. We thank you for those who worship in their home, Lord. We look so forward to that day when we are fully and completely restored. But even as we pray that, Lord, we know circumstances and and situations will make it where we're never like that. There's always somebody who's not going to be able to get here. But God, we know in the future you have prepared for us, we're all going to be there. (laughs) And it will be a delight. Even in this world, Lord, limited by our frailty and, and, and harassed by our sin, help us to find those places of great delight and joy. And help us on this Sunday morning to recommit our way to you, the author and the pioneer. Lord, we love you. We thank you for loving us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, I invite you to stand. We're going to sing a a lovely hymn of commitment. If, If God has been stirring in your heart and you believe you need to follow Christ or join this church, Uh, We'll have pastors around after this song is over. Find us. We'll be lingering in the sanctuary. You've seen us do things on the platform this morning. Come talk to us. Let us know what God's doing in your heart. Uh, But for all of us, let's commit afresh to the ways of the Spirit as the compassionate God of the cross lives out His strength within us this week as He is the God of Waco and beyond. Andy, Fran, come and lead us.